0: You truly can rewrite your future with these powerful prevention techniques.
1: Going from feeling hopeless in your health to feeling confident. To bring
2: information and unleash the potential of our listeners to ask the right questions. It's
0: my responsibility to take control of my own health.
2: Welcome to the Ask
1: Why Medicine podcast. Thank you for joining us. I am Laura Hooper and I have the Ask Why team with me. Gina Pritchard, an acute care nurse practitioner specializing in cardiovascular disease prevention and treatment in the Dallas, Texas area, Patty Demanis, a dental hygienist, patient liaison for the Heart Attack and Stroke Prevention Center of Central Ohio. We are joined by our fellow colleague and dear friend, Dr. Ellie Campbell, who is a double board certified physician with clinical interest in family medicine and holistic care. She is the founder and owner of Campbell Family Medicine in Cumming, Georgia. And today we are asking, why can't I control my blood pressure and why doesn't it matter? So Dr. Campbell, I know you are writing a book that we cannot wait to get our hands on that is coming out as soon as you're done. I hope you're sending it straight to the presses and straight to us. But this hot topic really of blood pressure, I think there's a lot of I'm going to say myths and miscommunication about blood pressure. So love for you to tell us kind of your passion, you know, the title, why you're writing the book, you're very passionate about this topic.
3: Yeah, the book's called The Blood Pressure Blueprint, because what I wanted to give patients was a blueprint for ways to manage their blood pressure. So um, when I was in medical school, we were taught that a normal blood pressure for a senior citizen was 180 to 160 to 180 over 90. Because as people age, their blood vessels get stiffer. And so it was common to have blood pressure readings in that range. But what happened was we came to accept that just because it was common that it was normal. And that's not true. And over time, blood pressure readings have dropped. And so we have to be alert and vigilant in our training to understand the new science as it comes out. By the time I finished my residency training, a normal blood pressure was 140 over 90. Well, fast forward to today, we have a whole new category. And now normal blood pressure is 120 over 80. So we've dropped it again and again and again. And if our doctors are not very vigilant and paying attention to the latest, greatest science, especially and have an interest in blood pressure, they're not going to know that a new blood pressure normal is 120 over 80. And that's what our target should be. When I was in school, we were told that little old ladies can't handle a blood pressure of 120 over 80. It's going to make them weak and dizzy and they're going to pass out. And we don't want to treat them to get them that low. And there are a small percentage of people for whom that's true. But that's not normal, and that shouldn't be our goal, because the evidence shows that even in the frail little old ladies, if we can control blood pressure to less than 120 over 80, we can reduce the chances of heart attack, of stroke, of kidney failure, of blindness, of sexual dysfunction. Many, many organ systems are affected by blood pressure, and the higher the blood pressure, the greater the risk. Dying, sudden death is a terrible thing to happen to someone that you love, but having a stroke where you're paralyzed on one side of the body, no longer able to walk or speak or feed yourself or toilet yourself is a preventable condition in most cases. And if patients learn that 120 over 80 is their target for blood pressure, we're going to have a much more likely probability of getting to goal and reducing chronic conditions related to uncontrolled blood pressure. One thing that I have shifted the vocabulary in my practice a little bit is I changed the way that I say blood pressure. I used to say, your blood pressure goal is 120 over 80. Now I say, your maximum acceptable blood pressure is 120 over 80. And just that little shift in the vocabulary words makes a big difference because now the patients come in and go, 125, my blood pressure is too high, right? Where before they would say, 125 is pretty close to 120, close enough for government work. I'm not going to worry about it. But when we shift the vocabulary and your maximum acceptable is 12080, now you have a, a whole different way to approach the program.
0: I love that. I'm going to start using that in my practice. That's wonderful. Um, tell us a little bit about your root cause evaluation workup for a patient with blood pressure, because we see so many patients that come in and they're on three or four blood pressure medicines and they're, you know, wondering, is there anything else they can do, et cetera. So, and a lot of people think, are mis, um, misinformed that they think if they do have a uh, blood pressure, that's really their only choice. Oh dear, now I have to get on blood pressure medicine and then another one and then another one. So. Tell us a little bit about your evaluation and um, more more um, holistic or comprehensive treatment options.
3: Right. Well, the first thing, the very first thing is to make sure you really indeed do have high blood pressure because most doctors, myself included for many years, checked blood pressure wrong. I was guilty. I didn't do it right. And I didn't know I wasn't doing it right. But now that we know better, we do better. So there's seven common things that Doctors and their staff who most of, most doctors are not checking their blood pressure in their patient's office. Most have staff that do that for them. So it's our job to train our teams so that they know the proper way. First thing, you should never check your blood pressure if your legs are crossed. Both feet need to be flat on the floor. If your legs are crossed, it can falsely elevate your blood pressure two to eight points. So that might push you from 120 to 128. And now I'm saying you have elevated blood pressure when really you didn't, you just crossed your legs. So that's the first thing. The next thing is you must always have a bare arm. If you have, are checking your blood pressure over clothing, you can raise your blood pressure five to 50 points. If you're wearing a winter coat, for example, those of you that are being inundated with snow may come to the office in a heavy winter coat. And if the tech puts the blood pressure cuff over the top of your coat, we could raise your blood pressure falsely 50 points. So it should be over a bare arm. Even a t-shirt can raise it five points. Next, making sure you're wearing a proper sized cuff. Your blood pressure needs to, there's actually a very specific way, if the doctors are going to be really specific about it, to use a tape measure to measure your arm so that they know which size cuff you should be using. There's a regular, there's a pediatric cuff, an adult cuff, an adult long cuff, and then an extra large or a thigh cuff that we use in some people who are large and would need that many inches to get the cuff properly around their arm. Because using a cuff that's too small, can raise your blood pressure two to 10 points. In the unlikely event that you don't have the ability to use a proper size arm cuff, a wrist cuff can be substituted. So you don't want to give yourself 10 points of blood pressure, false readings, just because you chose the wrong cuff. Another thing, bladder full. If your bladder is full and you need to go pee, you can raise your blood pressure 10 points. Got to empty your bladder beforehand. If your bladder is really full and painful and you really, really have to go, your blood pressure may remain elevated for three hours after your bladder was overfilled. So please make sure that when you check your blood pressure, you pee before you go home and you pee when you get to the doctor's office and then check your blood pressure because a full bladder can raise your reading 10 points. This is the one we were guiltiest of all. We have a very friendly practice in our office. Everybody comes in, gets a hug. We chit chat. We find out about the kids and the dogs and the grandkids and the weather and the postman and everything else we want to talk about. Active listening and chit chatting can raise your blood pressure 10 points. You need to be silent and still for five to 10 minutes before your blood pressure is taken. That means not even active listening, that means not eavesdropping on the secretary who's answering the phone in the waiting room because that active listening can raise your blood pressure 10 points. And the final thing that we did wrong is that we do not support the arm at heart level. If we let that arm hang or we uh, allow the patient to um, rest it on, on a place that's too high or too low, it can give a false reading of 10 points. So we want to position the patient so that the arm is supported, not by themselves. They can't hold it up themselves. Somebody else has to support their arm or it can raise your blood pressure 10 points. The final thing is uh, your back. Your back needs to be supported and you need to be sitting with your back against the back of the chair. I am vertically impaired. I am only five feet tall. And when I sit in most doctor's offices' chairs, if my back is to the back, my feet are dangling. And I can't put my feet on the floor. If my back is to the back, I need to have my feet on the floor or I have to ask for a step stool to rest my feet because dangling feet can raise your blood pressure by six millimeters of mercury. So I was guilty of making a lot of mistakes, checking people's blood pressure. And if As a community, we start to understand how to measure properly to eliminate inaccurate readings. That's our first fundamental strategy. Let's check the blood pressure properly. When I look at other things that are root causes of high blood pressure, probably the number two thing besides wrong measurement is diet. Our Americans eat far too much sodium. Sodium is one of the ingredients in salt. And even if you don't salt your food, all the food manufacturers make sure that you have plenty of salt in the food that you purchase. Restaurant food is loaded with sodium unless you specifically request that it's not. Anything that comes in a box or a can or a frozen meal is likely very, very high in sodium. So we want to try, if you have high blood pressure, to stay under 1,500 milligrams a day. And most Americans are consuming double or triple that. So sodium is an easy, easy way to lower your blood pressure and get it to target. If you're not reaching your goals, you're on two or three or four medicines, first thing, take a sodium check. Make sure that your doctor's checking your blood pressure right and that you're not consuming too much sodium. Another thing that is often replaced in our diet by sodium uh, is potassium. Potassium that when we're not getting enough potassium in our diet, mostly because we're not getting enough leafy green vegetables, our blood pressure will go up. Adding potassium competes with sodium in the blood system and lowers the blood pressure. It takes about 5,000 milligrams a day to do that. And that's the amount of potassium that's in five cups of beet greens. So I don't know that many people that eat five cups of beet greens at a sitting. So many people with high blood pressure need to be supplementing with a prescription or over-the-counter potassium supplement in order to get their blood pressure under control. The next uh, mineral that's often, and this is probably the number one deficiency that I see in my practice after practicing integrative medicine for 30 years, is um, magnesium. Almost everybody that, when they first come to see me, is magnesium deficient. Ideally, we have a blood test. We can do this, and we always want blood levels above 2, ideally 2.5 or 2.2 to 2.4, somewhere in that ballpark range. Um, And most of my patients require a magnesium supplement because our farmers no longer fortify their soil with magnesium um, in order to get the... um, plant to uptake it in the soil unless they're growing tomatoes. And if you don't know if you're a gardener, low, low magnesium will cause blossom end rot and you'll lose your tomato crop. So we put Epsom salts in the tomato garden because that's magnesium salts. And so the same kind of thing happens in our blood vessels if we're not getting adequate magnesium. So we want to make sure that we're um, supplementing with magnesium, I have been able to get many people off their blood pressure medicine just by replacing magnesium. One of the symptoms that you know that you have low magnesium is bowel constipation. If you have trouble pooping, you probably are magnesium deficient. Every uh, muscle cell in your body uses calcium to contract and magnesium to relax. And so in the absence of adequate magnesium, everything stays locked in the cramped on position. So the bowels stay locked. They don't relax and allow the fecal material to move and exit. But also you tend to get cramps, leg cramps, back cramps, neck cramps, headaches um, as common symptoms of low magnesium. So if you're a migraine patient who's constipated and have high blood pressure, I pretty much can guarantee you're low magnesium. And getting you on magnesium can dramatically improve those things. I've had many people tell me that magnesium beats Ambien in helping them relax and get to sleep because everything starts to relax when you have adequate magnesium. So that's uh, one of the tips. I happen to like chelated magnesium, like magnesium glycinate or magnesium uh, malate. I take 375 milligrams a day myself. I have people that only need 100 or 500. There's a big range and a blood test that we can use to make sure you're getting the right amount. And Mother nature will usually tell you you're getting too much with magnesium by uh, diarrhea. So that's a good way to um, control your uh, magnesium doses by your bowels. Um, alcohol. Many people with high blood pressure consume too much alcohol. The amount of alcohol is somewhat dependent on your gender and your size as to how much you can properly process before it affects your blood pressure. As a general rule of thumb, women can handle one alcohol beverage, that's one beer, one shot of spirits or four ounces of wine per day. More than that is generally not good for your blood pressure. If you're a a male, generally two servings is permitted. Some people cannot even tolerate that much. Some people lack the enzyme to break down alcohol properly. They usually know that they're alcohol intolerant, but sometimes they don't. And the only reason that we know is because their blood pressure goes up. They give up that one wine that they're having with dinner and all of a sudden their blood pressure will drop five or 10 points and they don't need medicine anymore. Sleep. I cannot tell you, as far as the root causes of uh, rising blood pressure, sleep is one of the most important drivers. It is during sleep that your body clears out the trash of all the day before. And if that trash continues to accumulate in your body, because you are tossing and turning and snoring and um, restless and dreaming and you can't get a good deep restorative sleep, we pretty well guarantee that your blood pressure is going to go up. Another reason why sleep is important is because many people are mouth breathers when they sleep. They may or may not snore, but they have that open mouth breathing. That is tragic for your blood pressure. There's this miracle mouth molecule called nitric oxide. It's made in the, the enzyme that makes nitric oxide is found in the crypts of your tongue and the floor of your sinuses. So mouths are for eating and noses are, are for breathing. And if you are breathing through your mouth, you are not making that enzyme to raise nitric oxide. If you're not breathing through your nose, you're not activating those cells that make nitric oxide. And nitric oxide, this miracle mouth molecule, not only lowers your blood pressure, it affects your immune system. It affects your heart rate. It affects your mood. It affects, it's a, it's a miracle. There's no body system that we have identified so far that's not affected by nitric oxide. And it's almost all made in your sinuses and mouth. So we have to make sure that you're breathing properly at night. If you have sleep apnea, of course, your little heart is being choked all night long, strangled and squeezed for its lack of oxygen. And if you have untreated sleep apnea, you are going to very likely have uncontrollable blood pressure. So getting those things under control as root causes are really important. Of course, we want you to eat healthy and six to nine vegetables a day and lots of um, whole grains and clean meat and low fat dairy and Following, generally speaking, a Mediterranean-style diet is the heart, the most heart-healthy diet that's been studied um, and helps the blood pressure the most. There's a very extensive diet called the DASH diet that's got lots of uh, articles about it if you want to dive into that. And then, of course, maintaining a healthy body weight is all important for keeping blood pressure under control.
1: So Dr. Campbell, you hit on one of my passions, um, you're talking about nitric oxide. And so I think two big things, if we have other healthcare providers listening out there, I'm gonna give a shout out to dental hygienists that may be listening or the dental community just on what you said about taking blood pressure, right? And it's not just your practice, all of our practices. And I think, you know, just being really mindful of that instead of creating kind of that panic in our, in our patients. So I love that, that you're giving us good techniques to follow and understanding maybe why it might be higher in our chair. And so I want to talk about that a little bit first. You didn't touch on that whole white coat. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of us want to say that's not true. It is true. There's like this myth back and forth. What is your take on this whole white? I have white coat syndrome. It is
3: true. There is a thing as white coat hypertension. So um, that is why ambulatory blood pressure monitoring becomes the new standard for helping patients to identify. Just like many of us are now checking our blood sugars at home, we should be if we have a diagnosis of elevated blood pressure of uh, stage one or stage two hypertension, a home blood pressure monitor is an absolute must. You must have this device at home and you must check it. It turns out that if you are untreated, and have white coat hypertension, you significantly increase your risk of heart attack and stroke. Because not only does your blood pressure sneak up when you see the white coat, it also sneaks up when you have an argument with your spouse. It also sneaks up when you're in traffic and the guy in front of you is a jerk. It also sneaks up when you um, open that bill that you weren't expecting. And so um, all of these things can raise your blood pressure. Now, If you are being treated for hypertension, you may still have white coat phenomenon and your blood pressure will go up higher in the doctor's office than it does generally speaking at home. But having a blood pressure care plan at home reduces the chances of those home events causing a tragedy. So you need to be, if you have white coat hypertension, you need to have a blood pressure care plan.
0: Dr. Campbell, tell us about your blood pressure care plan. I love some of your suggestions, and I know you talk about meditation being one of your favorite strategies. There's so many things that our patients and our listeners can do at home when they uh, have high blood pressure. Right.
3: So first and most important thing is to take your supplements and your medication. They don't do any good in the bottle. And many people have forgotten that they have high blood pressure and they think it's like an antibiotic. Oh, I only needed to take it for 10 days and I'd be cured. Hypertension is a chronic illness and it needs to be managed chronically. There's very rarely an event where someone has high blood pressure and it goes away. Now, under our care, we commonly see after doing all these foundational lifestyle things, correcting all the nutrient deficiencies, repairing the enzyme pathways, supporting the mitochondria, that blood pressure trickles down over time and their need reduces. I have a lady that I'm seeing, I started seeing six months ago, she was on six blood pressure medicines at the same time, and her blood pressure was 170 over 110. When I saw her last week, her blood pressure was 110 over 70. We had taken away four of those six medicines and we're taking away one more. So it can be managed. It's not easy. The patient has to be empowered. They have to be willing to change. One very important strategy in our blood pressure care plan is to recognize that the vast majority of heart attacks happen in the middle of the night and the early morning hours. So most blood pressure medicine should be taken in the evening time, supper time or bedtime, rather than in the morning because you get the most protection in the first few hours of your dose. So taking your blood pressure medicine in the evening is important. There's an exception to that, And that is that if you're using a diuretic medication as your blood pressure control medicine, this is commonly called a water pill, um, it's going to make your urine volume increase and you're going to have to go pee. And if I give you blood pressure medicine right before bedtime, you're going to have to get up in the middle of the night to go pee. And that does not support deep restorative sleep. So diuretics are generally taken in the morning, but most blood pressure medicine should be dosed in the evening time. So besides um, taking your medication and your supplements, we talk about all the therapeutic lifestyle changes for blood pressure management. We talk about sleep and, and food. There are specific foods that you can consume that are higher in potassium and magnesium than other foods that you might choose. For example, among the leafy greens, Swiss chard has much more potassium and magnesium than the other leafy greens. Spinach, for example, has um, 800 milligrams of potassium in it, but Swiss chard has almost a 1,000. So you can choose chard over spinach, um, but both are good. Dried apricots have 1,100 milligrams of potassium in half a cup. So if your aim is to get uh, potassium, you don't even have to eat a leafy green. You can reach for a dried apricot or a yam or avocado or cantaloupe. Peaches and beans are one of our favorite. Um, black beans, kidney beans, chickpeas, um, these all have very high levels of potassium and magnesium in them. So we want, to, plus fiber, and fiber is one of our strategies for helping people to lower their blood pressure and enhance bowel elimination. Celery is actually a medicine in traditional Chinese medicine that we use to lower blood pressure. So in one study, four stalks of celery decrease your blood pressure 12 to 14%. So celery is a great food if you have high blood pressure. I know there was a a shortage of celery a year or two ago when the medical medium recommended that everybody make celery juice you couldn't even find celery on the shelf because of the impact of social media. But if you can get it, it can lower your blood pressure 10 or 12 percent. Garlic is another food that um, has evidence of benefit. It's antiviral as well as um, supports your uh, blood pressure reduction by around 5 percent on average. Beet juice and the the red beet root are foods that um, contain uh, nitrates that help your body to make nitric oxide. So this is a really helpful food to help support that whole nitric oxide pathway that we spoke about. And finally, um, brown rice. Brown rice can control hypertension because it blocks the angiotensin enzyme that can raise blood pressure. So those are some foods that we talk about. My favorite vitamin is actually a hormone. It's called vitamin D. And um, vitamin D is made um, in your kidneys. So you have to have good healthy kidneys. If you have high blood pressure, you may not have healthy kidneys and you may not be able to make vitamin D very well. But we've been able to lower people's blood pressure um, 10 over 8 points just by supplementing vitamin D and getting their blood level up into the 50 to 80 range. Omega-3 fatty acids can lower your blood pressure. Resveratrol can lower your blood pressure. And I have some patients that come to see me from the herb world who refuse to take blood pressure medication no matter what. Now, there's come hell or high water, they will never take a blood pressure pill. But they'll take a supplement with Hawthorne berry. And Hawthorne berry can at a dose of around 100 to 300 milligrams, has to be dosed three times a day, where most blood pressure medicine are once a day. But the hawthorn berry has been shown not only to lower blood pressure, but improve coronary artery blood flow, increase your circulation, and it actually is a beta blocker. So we have um, many supplements and herbs that we can do as part of our uh, hypertension care plan. If you end up in an emergency, let's say you're following your care plan, you're doing all the stuff, and all of a sudden one day your blood pressure is like 180 over 110. If you have symptoms of chest pain, shortness of breath, can't find your words, that's a 911 emergency. You need to go to the hospital right away. But if you don't have symptoms and your blood pressure is in that range, I have five little tricks that sometimes can lower your blood pressure really quickly and make you maybe get out of the uh, need to call the paramedics in. First, go empty your bladder because we know that can raise you 10 to 15 points. Next, if you lie on your left side for about five minutes, it'll shift the pressure off of your heart and and often allow the circulation to shift a little bit and can lower your blood pressure. Meditation. I have a five minute meditation that I commonly do. It's on YouTube, it's free. It's called Honest Guys. And I just Google Honest Guys five minute meditation. And in five minutes, you can do this little breath work. You take an imaginary ball of light and take it from the floor up through your body to the crown of your head, back down again while breathing. It's guided. And I love doing it. I do it almost every morning. Kaiser Permanente has lots of free meditations. You don't even need to be a Kaiser patient to access. And they have many wellness um, meditations. Um, box breathing is one of my favorite strategies. Box breathing, um, or also called Navy SEAL breathing, is a way to kick up your parasympathetic nervous system and calm down your fight-or-flight sympathetic nervous system. So in Navy SEALs, they breathe four seconds in, hold it for four seconds, slowly breathe out over four seconds, hold it out for four, in for four, hold for four, out for four, hold for four, in for four. And that breath work is remarkable at how quickly it can lower your blood pressure. And the final thing is two techniques that we've borrowed from our acupuncture friends. Stimulating these two acupuncture points will dramatically decrease blood pressure very quickly. One is the fingertip point, so on the tip of the middle finger of both hands, if you can press on the, the pad right between um, the end of the nail and the fingerprint part, if you press a, um, a retracted pen on that area for about one minute, very often you can get your blood pressure to drop 10 or 15 points. That's called pericardium 9 by our um, acupuncture friends. And the other point is called liver 3. And this is on your, um, on your foot. This also helps relieve a headache if that headache is in your temple. So that point is located, if you slide your finger along the line between your big toe and second toe, um, that little divot right before your finger reaches, the bone is where the, the retracted pen will go. You hold it for about three seconds and release for five, hold for three, rest for five, and keep doing that massage on, off, on, off, for about two minutes, and that liver three point can lower your blood pressure. So I have rapid techniques, chronic techniques, and proper technique for measuring your blood pressure. If you do those things, you will find that your blood pressure becomes easier to control. Your risk for heart attack, stroke, blindness, and kidney failure becomes dramatically reduced when you become empowered to learn how to take your blood pressure and how to take care of your blood pressure.
1: I just want to say coming back to my passion of that nitric oxide, letting them hear about this breathing. It was airway, airway, airway. (laughs) We can't say that enough. Um, Right? We've talked about that. Of course, I love speaking about from airway to pathogens to the plaques. But huge takeaways here on how we can immediately help control. I love that you gave the Navy SEAL breathing. I know we've talked about uh, James Nestor, Patrick McEwen in the past. I hope people will go there, practice these techniques because we know that the vascular system needs to make that nitric oxide. What I want to give a shout out to is for our colleagues in the dental community and even as patients to be aware that there are many products we put in our mouth such as over-the-counter products, mouthwashes, you know, we're all into these mouthwashes and, you know, antiseptics, right? It's like, how many things can I put on my skin, gargle, rinse with? Um, And a lot of those are very damaging long-term, reducing what we're talking about, healthy bacteria, healthy enzymes that actually we need. We need the nitrate Um, to make the nitrite, to make the nitric oxide. So I just want to create that awareness um, because like you said, we're, you can try to put all these things in, but sometimes we're counterintuitively doing things that actually are taking it away at the same time. So I just want to make sure that we're always bringing that airway back to that airways.
3: Yeah. Using chlor, using chlorhexidine mouthwash can raise your blood pressure five to 10 points. You don't want to use those over-the-counter nasty mouthwashes unless your dentist is treating a very specific problem. And for a very specific problem for a very short while, it may be required. So follow your dentist's instructions, but don't just do it on your own. Managing bad breath should not be a DIY project. You should figure out how to seek your health professionals to assist you.
1: Absolutely. And just like in your business, there are some what we call homeopathic, all natural products. So just want to really empower our patients to be, you know, asking why. (laughs) Why are they maybe having that symptom and go go get that taken care of? We have so many takeaways here. (laughs) I mean, so many. Love, love, love. You know, I'm just gonna say number one, how to take blood pressure. So important. Right, so taking it properly. Never cross our legs. Bare arm. So if we're not bare arm, be aware of the clothing and how much it can impact. Right size cuff. I think that's huge because a lot of us just have one size. We're running around to all our patients, or even patients it might not know that they needed to buy a larger cuff, even if they're you know if they're doing that at home. Um, I love going go to the bathroom, right? How many people come in and they're nervous or we're going somewhere and right, we, we have to go to the bathroom and haven't done that yet. And then, gosh, if we could all do some, quiet of the mind, right? We can't help ourselves, but be active listening, even if we're not the ones talking, right? We're trying to take in everything around us, just that calm and be quiet. So I love those for taking, you know, really getting good at taking blood pressure and be aware to keep your arm at that heart level as well as what you said I'm short dr campbell like you so right no matter how much what chair i'm sitting on or go into an operatory to get i need to really be thinking about that myself as a patient you know am i contributing because i'm not supporting my back i'm not getting my feet on the floor i think those are just important things too as we go in as patients to help make sure that we're getting the right blood pressure I'm going to turn that over to Patty and Dr. Pritchard. I know you guys have some takeaways as well. I'm just so excited for the patients
2: who are listening because they, I feel like blood pressure can make our patients feel defeated. Like they just feel like, okay, I I really don't want to take this medication. It's not working. And there's nothing else I can do. I'm just, I just have, blood pressure problems, and I'm just really frustrated, and I think that you, um, I believe our listeners will be able, to, will want to listen more than once, obviously, because you've given us so much great information uh, about things that they can do on their own, um, just easy things to do, so I really appreciate that. I, I know that um, that's been one of the things in the dental chair, that a patient will deny they just, when we first started doing blood pressures in the dental chair, they'll be like, that's not really anything to do with my teeth. And I don't really want my blood pressure checked. And they just don't want to know it, you know. So I just feel like what you've told us today, that our listeners can actually have some hope and do um, some easy things that can make a difference. So thank you so much for that.
0: I, like both Laura and Patty, had
2: so many takeaways, but uh, one I'd like
0: to just start with myself. I learned so many things, but one thing that I had an aha about is uh, I've used Hawthorne Berry in my practice before. And for some reason, I have only talked about Hawthorne Berry tea. And invariably, patients come back and they're like, I can't get in that tea twice a day, much less three times. It's like I'm sick of the hawthorn Berry tea. Why have I not even thought about using it as a supplement? Of course, it comes in other uh, modalities. So thank you for that. Um, And then also, I do think that some of the most simple actions um, are dismissed. And so I love that you spent time on the simple actions. And I want everyone listening to understand that the way that you breathe, um, being very focused on your inward self and meditation while quieting the mind, as Laura says, and nasal, focusing on nasal breathing and some of these techniques that Dr. Campbell has told us about and some of the resources we've given you, hugely powerful. I just want to stress that point people dismiss, do I really need to worry about the way I breathe? I'm breathing. We all breathe. We don't even have to think about it, but you do have to think about it. It's impacting your health if you're not stopping to realize, how am I breathing? Could I have higher quality breathing? Could I improve my, what we call gas exchange and and improve every cell in our body, as you've talked about, Dr. Campbell? So breathing is a difficult one because people are really dismissive of it. So I want to put a highlight on that and put a highlight on what we've talked about a lot, and that's high quality sleep as well as appropriate breathing during sleep. Uh, Again, that's people like, okay, okay, okay. I know I need to stay in the bed longer. Okay, I know I need to sleep better. Now, uh, you got a pill for me? I mean, really, they're dismissive of sleep as well, so. we will. we've talked about that on the podcast more. We'd love to have you back on to to maybe focus on some of those things even more. And I'm very excited for the book to come out. I think every home should have one. And um, I, I thank you for, for being with us today. Any uh, last minute thoughts or takeaways you'd like to bring up, Dr. Campbell? Um,
3: it's been my honor and pleasure to be with you. I just want to emphasize that no healthcare team is complete without a doctor, a dentist, and a hygienist on the team. And so each of us has a skill set that brings unique um, perspective and unique tips and tricks to teach you how to be empowered to take care of your own health. Because so often we've come to understand, we go to the doctor and the doctor does something to us or gives us something to fill at the pharmacy. And healthcare is self-care. So the more tools that you learn to provide your own environment at home to be the healthiest possible place, the better off you're going to be in the long run. And sometimes that means seeking a family doctor who's had specialty training in integrative or functional medicine or in the Bail program. And by seeking those practitioners out, you will be blown away by the strategies that you can use at home. To help yourself feel your very best to live the longest so that as a grandmother, you can dance at your grandchildren's wedding so that as a mom, you can, you know, watch your uh, children grow up. As a dad, you can walk your daughter down the aisle. So those things are stolen from us if we don't control chronic disease at its earliest stages.
0: So powerful, Dr. Campbell, such great information. I hope our listeners will listen to this one a second time and a third time and take notes and take to heart this valuable information that you've given us. Um, And remember keep asking why. Why can't I control my blood pressure? That's the topic today. And as you've heard, there's so many things you can do. So be an advocate for your own health. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss an episode. And then follow us as well on Instagram and Facebook where you can find us at Ask Why Medicine. Thank you for joining us today. And in the meantime, keep asking why.